Let me, um, for the sake of our live stream, which is going on right now, let me welcome everybody uh, in the nations overseas. We know that uh, many of you could not be here with us today, uh, but we're getting lots of new friends from all of our different Roar schools, and we just want to say from your Livingstones family here, we love you. Uh, we're going to make the funeral service available on live stream so that our friends and family and all the different nations of the world uh, can tune in. So um, thank you again for watching today, wherever you are. And uh, I want to have you open your Bibles, um, first of all, uh, to Hebrews chapter 11, which is where we've been, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm amazed at the providence of God. You know, as I got together today and tried to get my brain uh, around Sunday service uh, in light of all that just happened, I was like, Lord, what do, you, what do you want to do today? And I'm just appreciative of his providence. The providence of God is just the fact that nothing happens in our lives by accident, that God knows what's going to happen in advance, and that he orders our steps. And I felt like the Lord said, again, encourage the people with exactly what I gave you to encourage them with, especially in light of where we are at here this morning um, with Bishop's passing uh, in front of us. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Faith assures us of things that we expect and convinces us of the existence of things that we cannot see. I'm going to read that again. Faith assures us of things we expect and convinces us of the existence of things we cannot see. I want to challenge you today that one of the attributes of faith is that a posture of faith continually expects the best from God. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 1.20. He says, I live in eager expectation and hope. I just want to ask you that question today. When you wake up in the morning and your eyes open, do you have in your heart a sense of eager expectation and hope of God's blessing, of God's direction, of God's favor, of God's hand on your life, that no matter what's going to come your way, God can handle it? Or do you live in fear? Do you live in stress? Do you live with a scarcity mentality? Do you, do you live wondering, you know, where is God? Is God going to be there for me? And let me just encourage you to kind of examine your heart in this area. Do you live with a default mechanism that just says, you know what, I have an expectation that God is good today, that God is faithful today, that God is enough today, and that uh, I believe the best about God. You know, it's interesting, the Bible says love also believes the best. Faith and love go hand in hand. And it's interesting to me that if we're going to love people, we're not going to look at people's negative aspects. We're not going to look at their faults. You know, it was amazing how many people shared that my father walked by and said something to them. It might have just been in passing. It might have just been a little jab as he went by. But my dad had a way. He would he would kind of work the crowd before service. Some of you are the recipients of that. Andy, I'm sure you got nudged a time or two when he came by uh, and said some things to you. But But how many of you know... There are so many people who wrote that, you know, what your dad said to me changed my life. Uh, he'd, he'd come by and say something like, you know, hey, you guys are going to make it. Hey, uh, I'm proud of you. Good job. Or something like that. Or sometimes with the guys, it'd be a little harder. It'd be maybe a strong word of encouragement or exhortation, shall we say. Um, but those words were rooted in love. Love always believes the best in people. And I want to encourage us. How many of you want to be people that speak love, speak the best, believe the best in people? But listen, faith... Faith also believes the best about God. 
It believes that God is up to something good. Even in difficult times, even in painful seasons, God is always up to something good. Because faith believes that God is love, and love always does what's best, and faith believes that, and faith therefore believes the best. Now, I'm not talking about, some of you say, Pastor, I wish I was just more of a positive person. I, I wish I was, you know, just more, look on the bright side of things, laugh half, half full instead of half empty. Let me assure you at the start of this, the faith that God loves and the faith that pleases God is not rooted in human effort. And, and some of you need to hear this. I am not talking about just being a happy, clappy, encouraging person, although happy, clappy, encouraging people are better than negative, pessimistic, you know, downer, Debbie Downer people. Are you with me? All right. But here's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about taking a course on being, having a positive mental attitude. You know, I, I'm, I'm for people that are positive. Po- being positive is better than being negative, but that's not, the, that's not what biblical faith is. I'm not also talking about those of you that might be members of the Optimist Club, all right? That's great. I think I gave a speech at an Optimist Club one time, if I recall back, all right? Hey, praise God for a bunch of positive people. I'd rather have you be an optimist than a pessimist. But biblical faith is not being an Optimist Club card-holding member, all right? That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is rooted in the rock-solid assurance that there is a God. Remember we talked last week, Hebrews eleven six. there is a God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You have to believe He exists, and you have to believe He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The fact that God rewards means we should expect the best from God. That's what biblical faith does. Now look at this passage in Scripture. I want to encourage you with this. It's really a good definition of faith. Psalms 32, verse 8. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life, and I will advise you, and I will watch over you. Isn't that good? I'm going to guide you, folks, along the best pathway for your life. God's going to speak to you along the way. He's going to do some course adjustments. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you counsel when you need it. And he says, in fact, I'm going to watch over you from the conception of your life until the end of your life. God promises to watch over your life. Now, how many of you know if you believe that, you would have a positive expectation about your day today? Am I speaking the truth here? You would have a positive expectation. In fact, this is what faith is. Faith is the confident expectation that arises in our hearts when we walk in relationship with God. It's the assurance that God is in control of my future, that His plans for my life are the best. Why? Because of His great love for me and because of the goodness of His heart. Now, I'm just telling you on this morning... When I'm up here doing what God's called me to do, I would not be able to do it or have the grace to do it if I did not have a positive expectation that what God has in store for all of us, my mother included, my sister, my family personally, that this is, we might have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, but if you think our expectation in God has waned or gone backward or that we are not absolutely confident about where my dad is, we're not absolutely confident about our future, come on. I have a positive expectation 
that when we've done all, what does it mean to do all? We pray for healing. We stand with God. We exercise our faith. We speak the word of God. And then here's what we do. We release God's people into his hands because we trust him with his future, his purposes, his plans better than mine. And I'm going to give my father, give whatever other situation to the Lord and say, God, have your way. Because I believe the Lord says, I'm going to guide you, Ron Johnson, along the best pathway for your life. I'm going to advise you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm never taking my eyes off of you. How many of you know I can have a positive expectation in God? Now listen, that's not God's promise to me only. That's God's promise to you. But you'll never be able to move in a positive expectation in your heart until you believe that's what God says over you. Now, okay, Pastor, how do I, I had someone come up to me today after first service and said, Pastor, I, I, I wish I was a more positive person. And I share with them, I said, you don't get to be a positive person through the laying on of hands. I wish that were that easy. Give me some oil. Pray over me. Hallelujah. Now I'm Mr. Man of positive faith. It doesn't work that way. This is how it works. You read the word. You believe the word. You act on the word. I told him, get a plan. I want you to make a plan that you're going to encourage five people every single day of your life. And you write their names down. You do it for a month until it becomes second nature. So you're not a critic. You're not negative. You're not pessimistic. You're going to look at people through the eyes of faith. You're going to call forth destiny in them. You're going to believe in them. You're going to speak a life-giving word in them when they need it. Because you're going to move and walk in faith. Faith expects the best out of other people. Faith believes the best out of other people. We have a lot of men here today who were part of my dad's Wolverines. Some of you are going, Wolverines, what's that? Wolverines are the men who felt rejected. Nobody cared about a misfit, discouraged, broke, divorced, hurt, whatever. But my father never saw a man in that way. He always looks through the eyes of faith. He might challenge you. He might make you angry. He might call you a name. Uh, he might do, he might elbow you in the ribs. He might call you on the phone. He might harass you at work. But it was always because he saw something in each of us that God wanted to bring forth. That's called expecting the best, even when reality doesn't look so pretty. How many of you know we have a responsibility to carry on that legacy? And I want this to be a church that expects the best in people, and first of all, expects the best from God. Because He is good, and He's worthy of our faith. How do we move in this realm of faith? First of all, I mentioned to you, faith comes from God. And I want to give you three things really quickly, and I'm going to preach fast and furious this morning. How do you become someone who has a positive expectation in your heart from God? First of all, faith comes from the person of God. Who He is as a being, who He is. Listen to what Hebrews 10.23 says. Let us seize. Love that word, seize. Everybody say seize. Hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised, we're talking about God's person. He who promised is reliable. Say reliable. Trustworthy. Say trustworthy. And faithful. Say faithful with me. How do you have a positive expectation about your life? That's how. Because you know God. God's reliable. God is trustworthy. God is faithful. Listen to what the psalmist says here in Psalm 39, verse 7. And now, Lord, for what do I expectantly wait? 
my hope or my confident expectation is in you. I love that definition of faith. Faith is a confident expectation that God is who he says he is and that he is fundamentally trustworthy. In fact, he's the most trustworthy of all beings. If you cannot trust God, who in the world can we trust? Don't you appreciate when a man or woman is a person of integrity, when their word is their bond, when a handshake means something, when they say they're going to do something, you know it is as good as done. How many of you admire those qualities on the human level, and yet every one of us that has aspired to do that has failed at one time or another? But God has never failed. God is never, God cannot not be reliable. He cannot not be anything but true, which is why we put our expectation in His person, and we put, and, and, and to know God and to know his being is a foundation. It causes faith to arise in our hearts. Sometimes the best thing you can do when you're in trouble is start meditating on who God is and remind yourself you're with him and he is with you. That's the good news of the gospel. All right, let's go to the next point here is his presence. How do we have this positive expectation in God? First is his person. We know who he is. But secondly is his presence. His presence is powerful because his presence is a tangible physical expression that he not only said he's with you, but you sense physically him being with you. Now this morning, that's why I so appreciate the body of Christ. I was getting different prophetic words that were on people's hearts, words of encouragement, words of prayer, words of love. Um, but this morning I came into the office and I have to admit I was a little bit disoriented, all right, with all this going on. I'm like, Lord, what do you want to do today? I came out and I had people running up to me and hugging me and I realized obviously this is not a normal Sunday. Uh, and I, I was sitting there. I looked in my dad's office. I looked at his desk. I looked at his empty chair. I looked at a note that I wrote that just simply says, I love dad on a sticky note st- still on his computer. I mean, we still have to process through what life looks like here apart from him. And right as I'm sitting there trying to keep my head above the swirl, Y'all know the swirl when I'm talking about the, the, the waves that are threatening to come over your head. I'm sitting there. I wasn't experiencing a lack of peace, but I wasn't being disoriented. And all of a sudden my phone beeped. And I looked and, and our beautiful intercessor and one of our elders here, Chris Krause, had sent me a text, which was a word from the Lord. And she said, Moses has passed away. Here was the word that God gave to Joshua. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm with you. Basically, it's not going to be okay. It's a passing of a baton between generations. But God is the one who remains constant. His purposes are constant. And it was just like the Lord was saying, you know what? Even as I was with your father, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Um, And what happened, what happened is... The presence of God entered my heart. Now, the Holy Spirit was already there, uh, but I'm talking about the awareness of his presence. Why do we worship? Because it makes his manifest presence tangible to us. As we were singing these songs today, I'm singing them through the lens of the last 48 hours in my life, as I'm sure you were doing. But I can't tell you how... Powerful is when we're just declaring the greatness of the Lord. Praise the Lord for his good, his mercy endures forever. I'm, I'm reveling in his greatness. I'm, I'm singing songs about walking through the valley, walking through the fire, having the waves coming over us. God is faithful. Uh, the, the promises that, that nothing happens and nothing can separate me from his love. I mean, we sang some amazing truth today. And here's what happens when you sing it. 
the presence of God descends upon you. And you begin to experience the reality of his closeness. And when he's close, you can do anything. You're unstoppable. You can go through anything. You can, you can stand strong through anything. Listen to what the Bible says about his presence. Psalm 5.3. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you. And listen, and I wait expectantly. That waiting expectantly is the heart of somebody who has walked the path consistently. In fact, there's a, there's a, a, a worn out piece, part of the grass. There's a, there's literally a, 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 a path going to the presence of God because we've learned to seek His face. How many of you know when you're going through the storms of life, it's too late to start trying to have a devotional life? Um, you, and not that it's ever too late, but you know what my point is. You need to have a walk with God that's real because we're, the storms are going to hit us all. You need to find the person of God, and you need to be able to find the presence of God. This is not tangible. This, I mean, this is not uh, 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 an option. It's not something on the side. This is essential to who we are and to how we live. So first of all, it's his person. Secondly, it's his presence. Look at what it says in Psalm 62, 7 about his presence. God's glory is all around me. His wraparound presence is all that I need. For the Lord is my Savior. The Lord, notice the my, it's personal. The Lord is my hero and my life-giving strength. You know, I told you before the amazing story about Richard Wormbrandt. Some of you know his testimony, Tortured for Christ, famous book. He was a Romanian pastor thrown into a Soviet prison simply because of his love for Jesus Christ and his unwillingness to compromise in the gospel. He tells the story about being in that prison in the dead of winter when he was freezing to death when he would try to sleep at night and he would be awakened by rats gnawing at his feet and he'd have to kick the rats off of his feet. Uh, and he endured this for the simple uh, cost of loving Jesus and not listening to the communist officials. And he tells this story that many times in that prison when he was in the darkest of his days, when he was overwhelmed with depression and heaviness so thick you could grab it, he would begin to worship And he says that the presence of God would enter that cell room, and it was so powerful, he felt like he was wrapped in warm blankets of love. And and at certain times, he was overwhelmed with inexpressible joy that he had no explanation of, and he would sing and dance before God in that literally that that hellhole that he was kept in. How many of you know the presence of God knows no bounds? There's no limits. You can't contain God. You can't stop God. You can't, you can't pin him in. You can't hold him down. God's bigger than all that. There's no place we'll ever go in our lives where God's presence is not there with us. And our ability to access the presence causes faith to arise in our hearts. So know who God is. Know how to find God's presence. And let me challenge you with the third area here. How do you have supernatural faith to expect the best? You have to know the promises of God. Psalm 112, verse 1, I skipped that one for the offering, but this is what it says. Shout in celebration of praise to the Lord. Everyone who loves the Lord and delights in Him will cherish His words. Let me say that again. Everyone who loves the Lord and and delights in Him will cherish His words and listen to this promise and will be blessed beyond expectation. Whoa! I mean, you know, that promise right there should fill your heart with faith to believe that your future and what God has for you is good. If you love the Lord and you delight in Him, in Him, you'll cherish the Word of God. When you cherish the Word of God, you'll eat the Word of God, you'll study the Word of God, you'll memorize the Word of God, and look at the promise. You'll be blessed beyond expectation. Anybody want that in your life? 
I mean, so here's what I'm saying. If I'm reading that verse, and this is what I love about my dad. My dad was a simple man. He was a coach. He gave simple instructions. You heard the simple instruction, one of them from Jerry Harvey when he was up here, all right? Um, My dad was a no-nonsense guy. Uh, My dad never whined or complained a day in his life. Um, He knew how to connect the dots. This is what he'd tell men. Okay, let's look at that verse. If we love the Lord and we delight in Him, we find pleasure in God, and we cherish what God says, which means we're going to read it and obey it, we're going to be blessed. Any questions? All right. Let's go, all right? Let's go. Just like a coach. Halftime locker room talk. Okay, ready, set. Let's go hit somebody, all right? That's that's the way he operated. Let's go hit the devil. The Bible is not complicated in terms of I don't get it. The Bible is full of promises for all of us, and the goal of these promises is to inspire faith in our heart so we have an expectation of what God wants to do, and that expectation is good, not negative, not wrong. Not heavy, not too much, not burdensome. So let's talk very quickly. I only got a couple minutes left. How do we expect the best? How do we learn? And why is expecting the best so important to the Lord? I want to look at some life lessons from David. And the first life lesson is this. Expecting the best honors the greatness of God. You remember the story of David in the, in the Bible. David was almost overlooked, at least by his father. He was the youngest of the sons, right? You remember the story when Samuel came to anoint him and Jesse put all the sons up there and Samuel was the one that said, don't you have another one? The reason he had to say that was Jesse completely forgot about David. David was out doing what David did faithfully every day and that was caring for the sheep. But I don't know if you know, David developed a great relationship with God when he cared for the sheep. He spent time writing psalms and singing and he learned how to fight for those sheep. He did his job well. He did it with integrity. And the Bible tells us that David came to the, uh, the, the battle lines. And when he came to the battle lines, you remember what happened. There was a, he was greeted by a giant named Goliath, over nine feet tall. He was blaspheming God and mocking God's people. And David was just delivering the sandwiches. He was just bringing lunch. And everybody mocked David like, go home. Who are you? You're just some stupid little kid. But David heard a giant Philistine, an enemy of God's people, blaspheming God and blaspheming his people. And this is what David said. And I want you to see why this kind of faith pleases God. And I'm wanting to ask you this morning, what are those areas in your life where you need to start declaring some expectations to the enemy and before the Lord about what God's going to do in your life? Look at what it says here. First Samuel 17, 46. Today the Lord will conquer you. Imagine this, this puny little kid standing before a man of war. And these are the first words out of his mouth. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Oh, and I'm going to cut, I'm going to kill you. I was joking, this sounds like one of those Liam Neeson movies, right? I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to cut off your head. And then he goes on. I'm going to give the dead bodies of your men. Now he's not only trash-talking to Goliath, he's moved on to the whole army. I'm going to give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now... I'm telling you, if you are God and you're looking at this little kid who doesn't know any better, can you imagine this scene? A little kid with a slingshot standing before a nine foot tall giant. And we're going to describe him a little in just a second. And he's going, I am going to kill you. Are you kidding me? 
Oh, no, I'm not. And then I'm going to kill all of your armies. In fact, God's going to do it through me, but it's going to happen because you have defied the armies of God. You know, I'm just telling you this. When you have the person of God and you have the presence of God, it stirs up faith in God and you begin to hate what God hates and love what God loves and you begin to declare some things over situations. You begin to talk to enemies greater than us in the natural and listen, you begin to prophesy what's about to happen. Some of you need to get back to talking to the enemy about what God is going to do. I think of marriages that were healed. I'm looking over at Diane Eliseah. Diane used to talk to Joe and talk to the enemy and prophesy about who her man was and who his real identity was and what God was going to do in their marriage. She spoke to the to Goliath over and over and over again. We've got to learn to speak to Goliath. Why? Because expecting. Notice none of that had happened. And the probability of any of that happening in the natural was slim, none. But David didn't care about possibilities and probabilities. David had a vision of his great God. And he began to talk on the basis of that vision. Can we as a church family begin to speak about what God is getting ready to do here? I mean, we're moving in the spirit into a new season. That's what happens when there's transition anywhere in our lives. We move into a new season. And I just have to honor my mother. I love her heart and I love her spirit. There is nobody who loved her man more than my mom. I watched her... On Friday, in one of the most beautiful scenes, you know, we, we learn how to be the people that we are from modeling. We, we, it sure helps to find somebody who's gone before us. Amen. It sure helps to find somebody who set an example. My mom loved her man, prayed for her man, helped her man, served her man, hugged her man, ran her fingers through his hair. Uh, expressed great affection, cared for him right up until the very end. But my mom's not living in the past. My mom still has breath and my mom still has life and my mom has kids and my mom has grandkids and my mom has great grandkids. And I heard this out of her mouth. I I am excited to see what God is going to do in this next chapter of my life. Why is she talking like that? Because she is a woman with expectation in God. That's why she talks that way. Her life is not over. Her life is still going and she's still looking because God has her on a path. God's watching over her. God is working out his purpose for her. And let me just give you a hint. It's good. It's going to be a blessing. She's going to be a blessing. She has so much wine to continue to pour out over us. And I want to encourage all of us, let's make sure we drink of that wine. All right? Drink of that wine. God is honored. His greatness is honored when we expect the best from him. Faith demonstrates zeal for God, zeal for his glory. Faith expects God to act. Look at Psalm 42, 11 on the screen there. But, oh, my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. Expect God to act. I'm going to say that again. Expect God to act. For I know, David's preaching to himself here, for I know that I shall again have plenty of reasons to praise him for all that he, notice, will do. That's future. He is my help. He is my God. David was going through a difficult season. That's why he started saying things like this. He said, oh, my soul, don't you be discouraged because it had reason to be discouraged and upset. This is what he said. He's talking out out loud to the Lord and to whoever else would hear him. I know 
I'm going to, again, have plenty of reasons to praise God for all that he will do. He is my help. He is my God. Here's our declaration this morning. Hey, we might be going through the valley of the shadow of death. We might be going through some grieving. We might be going through some sadness and heaviness. But I know God is going to give us plenty of reasons to praise him and to thank him and to rejoice in him because of all that he is going to do. When you talk like that, you honor the greatness of God because you're not staying in the pit of where you are. Even if you're in a pit, and I'm telling you all have pits. Your vision is not in that pit. You're prophesying yourself right out of that pit. You hear what I'm saying? That's the nature of faith. And listen, it honors the greatness of God. He loves it when we believe him in spite of what's going on around us. Secondly, and this is important, expecting the best releases God's power. In the natural, David was no match for Goliath. Goliath is over nine feet tall. He has been a man of war from his youth. He is the best warrior the Philistines can put on the battlefield. His helmet is made of bronze. The coat of mail, his armor weighs 125 pounds. That's like carrying another person on your back with you. Uh, and that was just his armor. His bronze leg armor uh, was heavy. He had a bronze javelin. And check this out. The tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Can you imagine throwing a spear that had a 15-pound head on the spear? This guy is a serious man of war, a demonized man of war on top of it. And he has an armor bearer in front of him with a shield. Listen to what Saul says to David in, in uh, 1 Samuel 17, 33. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. How many of you know we don't need leaders who are telling us what we can't do? We don't need carnal people looking at things in the natural telling us what we can't do. Anybody could have figured out in the natural that this boy was no match for that man of war. I just want to encourage each of us to be people who speak life, who speak faith, who believe in one another's dreams and visions, and who challenge each other to go out and and conquer the the giants in front of us. But look at what David's reply was. I love this. David didn't listen uh, to those words. David actually spoke this to to Goliath in in, uh, verse 45. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you with a name. A name. Who would have thought that a name would be so powerful? But he came with the name, this name, the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's basically saying you are in a heap of trouble. Do you know who you're talking against? I'm coming at you with a name. And that name should cause fear to course through your body, Goliath. And look what it says next. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Can I encourage us? You know, the thing I loved about my dad was he was uh, humble and strong at the same time. I remember when I was a boy growing up, and there were times when my dad would bring me along on on, uh, ministry assignments. And I'd say, Dad, what are you going to say? He'd say, I don't know. I'd say, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. He said, all I know is I need to show up. And you know, sometimes when you're little David, you don't know what's, what's going to happen or how it's all going to come down. But somebody just has to show up and talk smack to a, a demonic stronghold. 
Somebody just has to show up and say, uh, yeah, I don't have a sword or a javelin or one of those spears either. But I'll tell you what I got. I got a name. I got a dad. I got a dad. Let me tell you about my dad. And you've been defying him. And, uh, and you're coming down. In fact, I'm going to cut your head off. I mean, this is the way this, this young boy talked. And you know the history. If, there, if there's anybody that I think exemplifies a Davidic anointing in this house, it was my father. He was a pioneer. He was a, he was a warrior. He was a man's man. Um, he fought lots of giants over the course. And there, uh, when you guys started this work, you were like you were like two little kids with slingshots, and the Lord's saying, "Let's go out and kill a giant." But here's the beauty of it: when you're humble and you realize it's not about you, you just show up. And when you show up. You get anointed to be king or you get anointed to be queen and God begins to do supernatural, crazy, awesome things through you just because you had the faith to show up. How many of you have figured out it's not about us? Anytime God asks you to do something, I promise you, if it's God asking you to do it, it will freak you out and it will overwhelm you. You don't have anything but a little sling and a rock and a great big God. You know, we're going to celebrate a great big man with a great ministry, my father, But it wasn't the man or the ministry that was great. It was the great big God that he worshipped that made the man great and made the ministry great. It's the same God that we serve. Let me end with this last one, and it's brief, but it's important. I said, why do we need to operate in this kind of faith? Because it honors God's greatness. Secondly, it releases God's power when you just show up and rely rely on God to be God. But lastly, I want to share this. It encourages God's people. Expecting the best encourages God's people. You know, for 40 days, that Philistine came out and trash-talked God and trash-talked the people, and there was paralysis on the front lines. 40 days till David showed up. And David was so agitated in the spirit, not in his flesh, but in his spirit, he was agitated that David did something. And notice what happened when David did it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and they ran. And the Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and they rushed after the Philistines. Here's what I want to see happen in this church. Can we be a church where when we come together, we speak life to one another, we love one another, we believe the best about one another, we believe the best about God, we rally around each other when we're going through trials. But how about this? Let's be a church that takes on new challenges, new opportunities, takes on big faith things that we, we, we're going, how is this going to happen? Hey, God's going to do it. Let's have prayer meetings, Chris, where we're trash talking the enemy and letting him know, you haven't seen nothing yet. Um, our, our, our founder, our bishop, just got promoted, you know, but death, you don't have the final say. Where is your sting, oh, death? Are you kidding me? Out of his death, there's going to be a resurrection of many men and women of God who are going to do greater things. How do you honor a great person's death? Listen, let me tell you how you honor them. You listen to what they said. You, you emulate their life. You know, by watching my father, I watched how he loved a woman, how he loved his wife. You know what that did in me? It raised the bar. I want to love my wife the way my dad loved my mom. And, uh, and I shared this first service. I, I never had an expectation after I never saw two people love each other more. 58 years of marriage. One of my mom's regrets was that dad did not stay two years longer so they could celebrate the 60th anniversary. 58 years. And, and I, I thought this in my heart. I said, I will never find a woman who will love me the way my mom loves my dad. Boy, was I wrong. 
How many of you know God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think? And I don't know where you're at, but your best days are ahead. I'm grateful that my dad taught me what it meant to be a man. I'm grateful that he wasn't soft with me, that he challenged me when I needed to be challenged. I'm grateful that what he taught, he lived. I'm grateful for the way he loved my kids and showed me the tenderness of a grandfather, even though in his own upbringing, there wasn't a lot of tenderness with his father. And there was more with me. But what I saw was that it increased a next generation. And I saw the way he loved his grandkids. You know what that does to me? I want to love my grandkids like that. And here, you know, the greatest the greatest way you honor somebody who you love is that you take what they say and how they live and you make it part of your life. And the greatest way you waste a legacy is by not picking up the mantle when it falls to the ground and not choosing to run with the way you've been taught and to believe that, you know what? If God was faithful in his life, God can be faithful in my life. How many of you believe that? If God can be faithful and you can see it in the life of somebody else, then you know what? Then who are you? Are you an exception to the to the mercy and faithfulness and power of God? You, no, you're not. And so you know what? Here's what I'm believing. I'm believing that because we've all seen it, we've all tasted it, we've all experienced it, the bar has been set high. By the grace of God, a tidal wave is coming, and it's going to sweep us all up a little bit higher. And here's what I'm telling you. The seed, we're always standing on the shoulders of the generation before us. We're not going to go backwards We're going to go forward in the grace of God. We're going to honor 40 years of great pastoring that we received in this place. We're going to honor an apostolic mantle that was part of this region. My dad loved pastors. My mom can tell you there's pastors that would not be pastoring in this region today. They would have quit a 100 times over if they were not able to sit at that table. And have a man of God say, no, you're not quitting. Tear up your letter of resignation. You're not quitting. Keep in the game. Keep loving people. And then they go, okay, we will. And they were at it another week. And then another week. And then another year. And how many men of God would have fallen short if they hadn't seen somebody set an example for them? My final prayer, when I was with my father at his graveside, as he's literally breathing his last breath, was simply to love him and thank him for who he was in my life and to ask the Lord to please give me a measure of what was on that man's life to help me to love you, help me to love my family, help me to love God, help me to love the nations, uh, and help me to finish the race and to be strong until the end. That is my prayer. And I look up at the, at his monitor and it just gone to zero. I mean, that, that was like a, a, a literally a transference. Uh, and, and being in that place at that time with him, uh, and knowing what a hero he's been to me. Yes. I just pray you pray for me, pray for my sister, pray for our families, and pray. Now, I'm telling you that the fight inside, you know, I just hate death. We, we never were made to die. I hate death. I hate the stuff we deal with in this life. It makes me mad. I hate the battles we have to go through. But like David, can you just get a, a sense of fight in your heart where you're just like, you know what? Uh, 
One of our one of our leaders may have succumbed to to the the, the course of this life, right? The, the normal ending of this life. But we're fighting and contending for everything that God put in him, that God's going to do a release of that over us in greater measure, and that the ripple effects of that seed are going to be immense. I'm praying for greater marriages, greater families, greater blessing, greater prophetic anointing, pastoral anointing, ministry. You know, here's the problem. When, 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 when a gap like that gets left open, there's a void. And here's what needs to happen. The whole next generation needs to step in the gap. And, and that's my challenge to every one of you today. I'm, I'm going to trash talk you right now. If you love my dad and you care one iota about what he said in your life and what he'd spoke into your life and the, the way he lived, if you care, then here's my challenge. Then live the way he lived. And honor, if you want to honor him, then honor him by living the way he lived. And men... Choosing to be the same kind of man with your life. You can't do it by yourself. We don't have to. Uh, we got a family here. We got the Holy Ghost. We got the Word. And we have a great big God who will... My dad was as normal as normal can be on one level. He, he grew up in a simple home. Only child. Nearly died at death. Uh, a cord wrapped around his neck. Enemy tried to snuff him out at death. He ended up leading his parents to the Lord. And, and God sovereignly placed his hand on a very normal teacher and coach's life and did something amazing. Why can't he do that to us? Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you here as we leave. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the way you take the simple, weak things of this world and you do supernatural, God-glorifying stupendous, amazing things. Lord, we're looking backwards at the life of a man who so faithfully served this house. God, we wouldn't be in this facility. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing here this morning if it hadn't been for many, many years of putting your hand to the plow and believing you and expecting you to do great things. Lord, we're going to put our hands on the plow. In fact, I just saw that picture. The plow is empty right now. If you're all willing, grab a hold of that plow. We're going to continue to plow. We're going to continue to move forward. We're going to continue to grow and plant and raise up and harvest. And Lord, I pray that the latter years would be greater than the former years, that the incredible foundation that's been laid here, God, we will stand on the shoulders of mom and dad. And Lord, that we will go higher and farther and wider. And God, to your glory, that you'll do more and more things. All the ripple effects that are going on, Lord, let them continue to spread from this place. And God, may you be glorified. We love you. We pray for grace this week. Lord, as we come back together later in the week to celebrate and to worship you and to celebrate Dad, Lord, I pray that your presence would be so thick. And God, that you would release fresh mantles and fresh anointing over us for this new season. Lord, bless Mom and encourage her and fill her with hope and faith and strength uh, in the days ahead. And Lord, just comfort her. Wrap around her, Lord, like, like that blanket of warm presence, Holy Spirit presence. Wrap around her, comfort her. And Lord, equip her for this next chapter in her life. Uh, we're so grateful, Lord, for who you are. And Father, I ask you to continually reset our hearts to expect the best. Yes. Expect the best. Right now in your life, expect the best. God is not finished. God is not done. God is just beginning. God is doing a new thing. Let's expect the best. 
in our marriages, our children, our church. Let's expect the best. Lord, we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.